Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Brian Hemmings. Brian, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Ed. It's uh, I'm over in London. It's um, it's just gone nine o'clock. It's a bank holiday here, but it's uh, I'm really pleased to to join you. We've been um, we've known each other for for some years um, since yeah, my trip to Hong Kong, I think. And um, yeah, so good. Well, maybe even years. before that, and um, both spending a lot of time in Northampton. We've got um, a, 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 a lot of um, similar friends, so it's really nice to join you. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm coming to one of your seminars back when I was in the UK, sort of 13, 14 years ago, probably now. So it's really nice to connect. So for the listeners who don't know so much about you, could you give us just a bit of a background as to your career today and what your specialist subjects are? Okay. Um, well, I'm a, a sports psychologist. I've been practicing for um, nine, 30 years now. Um, uh, I, I guess if you if you search my name on the internet, it will come up a lot of work on golf. I have worked extensively in other sports, in motorsport, boxing, cricket, as three main ones. But yeah, a lot of my career has been spent working in golf um, from kind of, I guess, serious, serious players, but from all ages, amateurs, uh, predominantly um I spent um, 17 years with the England golf team, uh, men's and boys, but then also a good seven, eight years with England women's as well, uh, women's and girls. Um, so probably I, I would say a, a world profile in terms of golf psychology, in, term, in terms of some of the work I've done and the places I've been with various PGAs in terms of coach education. Um, but yes, I, I've, I've worked in a university setting as a lecturer. Um, I've published four or five books, a, lot, um, a couple still in the pipeline. So yeah, I, I, I guess a varied kind of a, a varied kind of career. It has three three prongs probably to it: um, um, the the applied work as a consultant psychologist. Uh, research and writing, and as I said, a fair amount in in teaching and education as well. Nice. So today we're going to be discussing about peak performance and how what you would teach an athlete to perform at the highest level, I think, can probably be also used in in leadership and management settings. So first question I'd have for you, what would you define as either high performance or peak performance? What would be your definition? of that you start you start me off with a tough question um um well i I guess peak performance is you know i think you can get sometimes some outstanding performances which 
um, kind of border on a, um, a flow experience, which is a kind of an out of body experience, which sometimes people can convey in different sports, but they're unusual. Mm. Um, and in my career, I'd say that's, that's unrealistic level to attain because there's something um, very unusual about those experiences. But in terms of what I'd say about peak performance is, 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 is very high performance, which is consistent. Um, so peak performance, and I guess in terms of the, some of the different disciplines, peak performance would have some technical elements to it. In sport, some, some physical elements to it, and obviously some psychological elements to it. Um, so I, I guess in, in my discipline, it would be, uh, peak performance would be psychologically dealing with whatever situations in front of you and with whatever context is going on in yourself and your wider life to to still not necessarily get results because in in sport results are out of one's control because you know it depends on what others do or don't do might might affect the res, the actual outcomes or results you get but something peak performance will be something about attaining um, excellence in, in your own process about how you go about trying to get the results you want. I hope that isn't long-winded, but it would be something, uh, peak performance would be something about you and yourself, what you've got control over and, and, and your own process. So a lot of the time I talk to athletes about their, their kind of method of, method of success is, is over time you, you, you get clear on what's my method what what are the things i do in in order to to try and perform well um which is which is um irrespective of what others might do or don't do mm. yeah i like the term one thing you said there was, was getting out of your own way a bit i feel that that comes maybe that's the with the psychological side of it overthinking or overanalyzing it, which both in sports performance or in a management setting of your team, if you're constantly trying to analyze and, and overthink every situation, you kind of get a bit tied up with what you're trying to trying to achieve. I like, um, so Clive Woodward, his def, one of his things he talked about was in sport and business being both exactly the same thing because you're trying to achieve a goal through people. Uh, and seeing that that actually is you can only control certain aspects of that but you're still just trying to do the same thing you're just trying to get to whatever your target might be yeah i think there's enormity Ed. there's an enormity of things that 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 you that you might be trying to influence in some way that that brings an outcome you want but sometimes that can be overwhelming hmm. um and i think a lot of the time with with athletes what you're trying to do is to is to get them to focus one actually on key things at any one point. So uh, being a, a, a self-awareness that actually, yes, there's all of this stuff going on, but right now I can only, I can only really influence A, B and C. Mm. Um, and having the, I guess, having the presence of mind that, that, that is, that is all I could do. I, I could be rude. Um, but um, I remember working in one sport where, there were lots of problems in in a in a well I won't won't say the team was but it was in cricket and I was doing some team team stuff and uh, there was a lot of problems um, in in terms of 
the, the context and what was happening with the club and and there was a lot of um what i call tittle tattle going on a lot mm. of voices and i remember one of the, the senior players in the meeting it was quite it was quite it was it could have ended up in quite a bit of conflict but i remember him talking and saying something like he says sort of listen lads this is all shit around the edges mm. and what he was referring to excuse the language but what mm, he was sorry. referring to is there's loads and loads of stuff going on here that we can quibble about that can affect mm. us or we can actually focus on really core things that actually are going to make the difference um because because that's what we all want but we run the risk of focusing on too many irrelevant things and and sometimes i've said in sport as well with people is is there can seem to be a whole host of problems or, or barriers to performing well however some of those things can dissipate if we if we can identify what are the core things that are going to affect performance sometimes that whole list of problems they look after themselves they dissipate as a result of focusing on the core things mm. so you know a bit about being over analytical you know sometimes when i meet an athlete and you, you sit there for an hour and a half and you listen to perhaps all the difficulties they're facing all the challenges and what you're trying to discern as a psychologist is actually what what, what are the actual key things here where do we start what are the things that are going to make the biggest difference if we if we intervene in some way on those and i guess in terms of you know i have done some work in executive coaching leadership and it's i guess that is the same process is i remember listening to people and you're really listening to aspects about their staffing their environment um and there can be a whole list of difficulties or, or problems if you want to cite them as problems but what you're trying to do is help somebody um um reduce them into well what's the most what where can you have the most impact the most quickly and then some of those other things may dissipate or disappear of their own accord um and also mm. i think is 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 leaders you know at the end of the day ed we're talking about the human condition so elite athletes leaders positions of responsibility anybody is is many people have got the uh, propensity to overthink and to overanalyze as a way and i, I think that sometimes uh, evolution wise that's a that's a kind of a survival thing is that we're trying to think of all the things that could happen in in essentially to get the best of ourselves or to protect ourselves and so i think sometimes when you work with leaders um they're expect leaders are expected to know have all the answers they're expected to lead and often it's you may have heard this time is like who coaches the coach mm -hmm. in sport or who, or who helps the leader because often that's an internal process and they haven't got somebody around them to share their own doubts or their own concerns so there's something in 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 psychology in terms of just listening to people is giving them um uh, giving them an outlet to speak freely without bias without being judged about how they're going about their work what are the things that they're concerned about and there is something is in in that process psychologically of talking out loud that enables clarity so for instance if i'm sitting here and i'm i'm concerned about certain things in my workplace whatever then your thoughts can there's just there's a kind of a cloud there can be lots of things swishing around 
when you sit with somebody and they have to organize their thoughts in a way to help you understand what's going on in that process they reach a better understanding themselves about they can join join elements up that perhaps they hadn't thought that were linked and also i guess when you talk out loud you're you're hearing yourself from a different perspective i actually i'm hearing it verbally rather than an internal process so that's where i think kind of the the, the, the my sense of working in exec coaching or leadership is is that's that's similar similar things with when you work with head coaches that, that, that they're trying to extract performance or higher performance um, from the people they work with. And the outcomes may obviously may be different because it might be that, that the financial position improves in, in golf club management. It might be that the members are more satisfied. There might be certain outcomes that you're clear about, but the process is actually is actually quite similar from a psychologist's point of view. It's about sitting down and listening not necessarily that I've got the expertise in that context as a leader, but what I've been pretty skillful at in my career is is helping is understanding people's context, whichever walk of life they're in. Mm. And then in 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 me trying to understand their context, I've often helped them understand their context better too, uh, and then get clarity. Okay, well, what have I got control over? what haven't I got any influence over that might be frustrating, but it's an acknowledgement that I can't really do anything about that. Um, and then to think about, well, where might I help intervene if necessary? And sometimes no intervention is needed at all. It's more just uh, uh, providing an outlet for somebody to, mm. to reflect in a safe space. Mm. I suppose to a, a similar for those who don't have someone to speak to as such, it's journaling probably is something which would be similar because you've, you've actually got to organise your thoughts to write them out on a piece of paper. And similar, instead of them being in your head, you're seeing them in that different context of you actually seeing it written down and rereading I'd, it. Exactly, I'd agree, Ed. The only, the only difficult... Uh, journaling is good. Uh, the, only, the, the only difficulty with journaling is is still your own perspective. Yes. Yeah, and perhaps if you have some faulty beliefs in the way your lens is viewing things, then you'll just repeat that. Mm. You know, so for instance, if, it, if you're working with an athlete and and they have some faulty beliefs and it's coming out in their kind of self talk, they might not they might not know how to shift that. Mm. So faulty so beliefs. For instance, yesterday I was working with some young Chinese athletes, um, young Chinese golfers online, and it was interesting culturally the pressure that the kids have in terms of competitions, and they it's almost like they must be perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, they must win straight away, uh, or there'll be some sort of judgment, or that they're not doing good enough or something. And, and actually, that creates a lot of pressure for them where they're, they're that belief about must, and I was picking up on the words they're using, they must, I've got to, I should do this. And, and I was pointing out very softly that actually, if you, if you think in that way, you're going to, you're going to get very nervous, you're going to get very anxious, and you're, you're often going to feel like you're underperforming. And, and to the point, actually, you'll probably withdraw a lot, because mm. it's, it's, it's going to be a pretty, um, um, it's going to be a pretty unhelpful way of thinking about your golf.
And so sometimes journaling can be the same is that you can you can write down your thoughts, but actually you might just be reinforcing them. Hmm. And that might be unhelpful. So to change your perspective sometimes with things like belief, it can be helping someone understand that the the way they the way they're viewing a situation is kind of digging themselves a hole. Hmm. And and you know, as a psychologist, you can't change people's minds but you can help them modify their thinking by showing that the, the way they think isn't isn't any more valid than the way that you're saying well you could think about it in this way that might be more helpful and and sometimes that can be a bit of a eureka moment for people that they realize oh crikey i can see what see what i'm doing um mm. i can i can i can give you some examples of that but let's carry yeah. on talking and, and 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 see where we go yeah, so that would that kind of be around reframing and countering, and yeah. the sort of things that people could do. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is this is the situation. This is why I'm seeing it. But here, it, here is another way I could view the situation, which is equally valid. It's mm. not right or wrong. It's equally valid, and it might be more helpful to you in terms of maybe reducing some of the distress you feel. Um, I suppose and, and, a silly example. I, one of the ways I view things. So if someone cuts me up in traffic, yeah, I choose to assume they're rushing to get somewhere for an emergency because I have no control that they cut me up. And my choice is either get really angry and let it ruin my day that someone chose to cut me up. Yeah. Or I could just view it that, oh, there must be an emergency rushing somewhere. Yeah. And it's my choice of which one I believe. And the second one means you don't have any anger then lingering through it is that's kind yeah. of yeah so what you're saying there ed is the objective situation is the same you've been mm. cut up in a car now i've got different ways in which i can look at this one way of looking at it might be lead me with lead me to feel very angry and in a rage and an injustice and frustration the way you choose to look at it is okay that's not great um i, I, I wish he or she hadn't done that however it could be because of this and the psychological outcome is different in a sense of, well, like I, I remain calmer. I'm still not happy about what happened, mm. but, the, but I'm not, I'm not the one left with the distress. Yeah. Um, if I give you one example of it, Please, and I hope yeah. it isn't, it isn't too long winded. And I've often done this in, in workshop scenarios as a way of explaining what you've said is it's called a desert Island a desert island scenario and so let's say ed i was going to send you off to this desert island um and let's say at this uh, wonderful golf course it's got a beautiful hotel it's going to be lovely weather lovely food an absolute paradise sounded good so um, far it, yeah it, it's a bit it sounds a bit different from england at the moment but um <laughs> <laughs> but let's say let's say you're going to go out there but let's say you had this belief that you that you must have people to share it with you've got to have people to share you should have people to share it with uh, let's say i meet you at um at auckland airport i give you first class tickets and but right at the end i say oh ed you're going to be on your own out there how would you feel i'm not you just have to pretend for a minute that you had a really mm -hmm. strong belief i must have people to share it with and then you find out you're going to be on your own how would you feel uh, disappointed disappointed mm. uh, some people you'd say actually I'd, I'd actually be quite anxious or mm. i'd be angry mm. so 
Okay, so hold on to that. Okay, now same mm. same scenario, same scenario, same desert island. Uh, you know, same uh, lovely golf course, weather, and all that all of that picture that I that I um, described. This time you've got a slightly different belief. This time you just prefer to have people to share it with. Mm. You just prefer to have people to share it with. Again, I meet you at Auckland Airport, give you first class tickets, and at the end, again, I say, "Oh, Ed, by the way, you're going to be on your own out there." How would you feel now with that slightly different belief? Mm, more kind of, uh, oh, well, okay, I can still go though and enjoy okay. it. Yeah, so it's not great. Not great, yeah. Still not maybe what I prefer. Sorry, what would be ideal, but it's mm. okay. So you can see in that situation, mm. it's the belief, the words I use, must, got, should, versus mm -hmm. prefer, shift the psychological outcome, shift, yeah, it, mm. it's, 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 so in other words, it's the same objective situation. You go into the same place, but it's the what the, my belief of how I view that situation, which results in that emotional outcome. So uh, that's kind of about psychological flexibility. That that when you when you think in terms of must, got, shoulds, it's deemed to be very black and white, very absolute thinking, and it's very rigid. Whereas if you can think about a prefer, then it's it's more you're showing more psychological flexibility and actually probably a better life happier mm. less distressed and and so often in sport or in life is we haven't got full control over some of these things so about whether i want to play well whether i want to win well you can't must win or got to win and i know the media might write those narratives but actually a lot of the time they're really, really unhelpful. And I get a lot of this with kids about failure, success and failure, that they deem it in very binary terms, black and white mm. terms. And, and it's often to the, a massive disadvantage. So again, you're trying to, sh the success and failure is, is to try and get them to reframe what failure might look like. Uh, and I've often mm. found that can have really quite significant effects, not just on people's performance, but how, you know, just their general their general mood and, and sense of being happier with themselves. Um, mm. And often that it shifts. Leaves, yeah, it leaves a better performance. So I hope that mm. wasn't too long-winded, but it, it's, it's, no. in my mind, it's probably, uh, for, the, for your listeners, it's probably a good way to think about maybe their own leadership or what, what, whatever whatever uh, realm of work they work in is, is mm. often do they think about that in, 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 I call it, I call, I call it, I, you, and the viewers can't see this, but I, I say, I often get people's hands, make a gun out of it mm. and hold it to the head and say, you're holding a gun to your own head here. Mm. You know, the demands you're placing on yourself, which you've got no, you haven't got control over anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like the term uh, psychological flexibility. I think that's a really good kind of way of thinking. And in terms of the thought processes, there's a kind of a third wave psychology mm. now called ACT, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is very much about talks very much about flexibility in terms of negative thoughts that actually they're part of the human condition. It's very difficult to to actually eradicate them. And it's better to be flexible with thinking in terms of, oh, there goes that thought again and recognizing what might be negative thoughts and thinking, oh, OK, oh, it's like, oh, the, Thank, thanks, brain. Thanks for reminding me of that, because in all, in all my career, thirty, and I've worked some really quite successful people in different sports, and I've not met anybody who doesn't doesn't have self doubt or doesn't have mm. negative thinking, me included.
Mm. Yeah, um, I suppose the difference is just that some people have learned learned tactics to deal with it or manage yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and a lot better. of that is a lot of that is it is about acceptance. Is oh, there goes mm. that thought again. Oh, thanks, thanks, brain, for reminding me of that. Rather than um, getting uh, act would call it, you getting hooked on the thought. Mm. And, and and you let the thought take control and instead of just recognize it as just a thought. Oh, there goes mm. that thought of there. Oh, there goes that negative thought again. Rather than the content of the thought meaning something. Um so yeah, mm. and, and as I said, ACT talks if if, if your listeners are interested, mm. if you look up ACT on the internet, you'll get a whole hit, list of stuff that's probably mm. some quite simple reads. But that, that that's in essence a lot of it is about what they call psychological flexibility mm. that we need to be learned to be flexible with our thinking and they've got various ways of trying to manage that some of its mindfulness some of it's about changing behaviors um and that's a that's a, 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 a approach worth worth reading about yeah it's interesting you said mindfulness because it sounds quite a lot, a lot a lot of the stuff i've done within meditation where you're just seeing a thought as something that pops in your mind that you have no control over uh, and there's one meditation teacher, uh, Minkor Rinpoche, I think it is. And he was somebody who had a lot of anger he suffered with. Uh, and the way he talks through it is he started off with just being aware of anger or there's anger. The next level, who's able to greet anger by saying hello, anger to himself when it came. And finally, the ultimate level he was at was he would welcome it as a friend because that took away all the power it had. Yeah, really yeah. nicely described that, Ed. Well done. Mm. Um, you, yeah. I'm not familiar. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that work, but you can get, mm. you can see there's some there's levels and there's an acceptance, and then even in that, like you said, there's a reframing of it that anger is something to be welcomed, managed but welcomed. And um, mm. I think that's where the thing with negative thoughts is, um, or, or doubt is that we almost fight against it. It's like a battle, and mm. actually that that probably reinforces it yeah rather than like... rather than oh god there goes that thought again and oh mm. you know um you know and, and, and act talks about it's kind of an evolutionary thing is that the the, the, the negative thoughts is they do have a purpose it's almost about survival mm. it's warning it's warning us about something so actually they could be welcome because they could actually be helpful to us mm. well i think of the thousands and tens of thousands of years uh, we lived on the planet it's only been i think if it was a thousand page book human history it's only page 999 since then that we've had the luxury of safety so yeah. our, our, our software system is not designed for exactly. a comfortable safety life it is designed yeah. for constant danger and to yeah. be on high alert yeah, that's you know, and even usually biologically, we're wired that way. We're hardwired that way, and and it, the the I think the propensity is 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 the narrative, and the world says we should be this, and it should be we should be this, and we should be that, which is contrary to what people's experience is. Mm. Um, and sometimes then that gap can make it reinforce that I must be doing something wrong because I'm thinking in this way or I'm doing this, but actually. <laughs> part of the human condition it is probably 99.9 something of the of the world all do the same thing mm -hmm. um yeah. so i think so trying it, to move it, too far so i just think yeah, like, sometimes we try, yeah i think sometimes we try and move move our feelings 
too far along. So in the sense that, you know, if I'm anxious about something, trying to go from anxious all the way to calm, is quite a giant leap, yeah, but anxiousness and excitement are really, really similar emotions. So just yeah, reframing and, um, it to excitement. Yeah. Similar, similar, similar physiological response. You know, that's a classic mm. with, with athletes is, are you excited or are you anxious? Because it's probably a bit of both. And the physio mm. physiological response is probably quite similar. Um, but yeah, you're right. It can be too much. People can think about jumps. And often when I work with people, we can say, yeah, this is, this is not good. How can we make it a little less bad? Mm -hmm. Rather than how can yeah. we make it, you know, that's not the type of psychologist I am. I'm, I'm more kind of realistic in the sense of, okay, let's understand mm. the situation and let's make small shifts and get some, maybe some momentum going the other way, but let's not be unrealistic as well, because in a way you're setting people up, um, you're, you're promising them outcomes that, that you know you, you won't deliver um, or can't deliver. And often when I work with people as well is you never really know how quickly they may change. You know, some people you could, it can be almost a eureka moment and they really shift quickly and other people it can be much, change can be much slower mm. and that can depend on their own personal history. It can depend on the environment around them. Um, it's, it, 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 people want, people want clear cut answers and, but it's, I, I, I kind of say, well, I'm never quite sure. Uh, and I'm not being evasive. I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of people like that concrete answer, whereas you know, I think of everything within as probabilities. Nothing's 0% and nothing's 100%. It's just somewhere on that spectrum. And just sometimes it's slightly more probable, sometimes less. And it's, I think when it comes to, say, making decisions, uh, it, if the outcome's good or bad, that doesn't necessarily mean the decision was good or bad because there's so yeah. many uncontrollables yes. around, around yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And the classic in sports performance, you see that a lot. You, There's so many variables operating in the real world that you, it's very hard to to say A as equal as, as affected mm. directly the outcome. Sometimes you get a little bit more in my field, a little bit more strong sense that that's had a big impact, but you can never, never claim outcome. Mm. Um, um, yeah, very, very, very true, Ed. Very true. Mm. So you mentioned earlier self-awareness. Now, ACT seems to be quite something quite useful to help develop self-awareness, which I think is quite a powerful thing, say, in leadership roles where actually you need to work on all this stuff yourself, but you've got a team of people who you also need to work on this stuff with. And being self-aware enough of your own biases and tendencies and thought patterns to then not let that affect other people and how yeah. your net your own you know we all have our own um fate and is wrong but negativities oh, we're, we're all fallible we'll have weaknesses yeah yeah so how then what, what's your thoughts around then that garnishing um, that self-awareness okay um What went through my mind, and I don't know why, mm. is I, I remembering in terms of leading and environments, in, is I, I think you can impact on, uh, firstly, make, and I hope I don't go off to uh, a tangent here, and, and if I do, bring me back, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
what I often think about is was in golf is a lot of people used to say that you know all, all the work you did and and, and individuals and, and I, uh, you know good work and you know, such and such a player and who did you work with and I said look I think I did some really good work in that time but for me what I had the biggest impact was in in the environment and and, and creating what's kind of a psychologically informed environment so in other words if you get the environment right a lot of the individual psychology looks after itself because they're in a better environment that's that's aware you know psychology isn't just within an individual psychology is around us all the time mm. it's how we think about ourselves it's how we think about other people it's how we think about a situation it's in interpersonal relationships so it's all around us so what i was trying to do was to work with the coaches to create an environment where people were were wanting to work really really hard they were invested in improving that uh, and so a, a lot of difficulties potentially um, again dissipated because um there were rivalries there were disagreements but it there was a there was a common purpose and we were aware of what were the things even like shaping practice that 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 had psychological elements to make it competitive but healthy competition uh so to self-awareness i think it's you can do exercises with leaders is 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 in a sense of i mean i guess leadership this this will be nothing new here but you can do your your own kind of assessment not just psychologically but kind of what are my strengths um do i have any limitations weaknesses what are my blind spots where am i effective where am i less effective and 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 that's the first stage of, of self-awareness is 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 being willing to self-analyze or listen to others trusted others about how you go about doing things the other method of self-awareness is is i guess is is growing in the in the in the in the sports psychology disciplines it has been for many years is reflective practice mm. it's having not just reflecting um you know i've been practicing 30 years when i used to get you know when i was initially i'd get in the car i used to have a little dictaphone handheld dictaphone i used to just stick it on and talk out loud in the car on the way home you know i thought this went well I'm not so sure about that or other ideas and then there was a whole literature that, that came from the allied profession health professions about reflective practice about how do you reflect in a structured way which improves yourself yourself and your interactions with other and generally your performance um so it didn't exist when i started in in that form but to say i wasn't reflecting was a nonsense so i, I think as a leader it's it's a and self-awareness it's it's a willingness to reflect on yourself and a willingness to to to, to acknowledge where you don't do things well and actually then is beyond what i don't do well is well what am i going to do about it do i need some extra training do i need some mentorship do i need support from somewhere do i need to read something but that's not that's not just picking out what i do poorly self-awareness is also about um how how can i develop it or, or in ways which i hadn't considered before um 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 but also what am i doing really well you know what what are my strengths what do i really bring to this organization and this team 
How can I maximise that? How can I use that more often? Um, so that's what I think is uh, about about self self awareness. I think as your career grows, you become better at knowing yourself um, because you've been exposed to lots and lots. You still have first experiences, of course, but you've got a, a much greater bank of memories about dealing with people or situations, which, if not the same are close enough to transfer to the new environment you're in. Mm. You know, so people are all unique. They're all different. But I've worked with similar types of people. Not to say then that, that, that exactly the, you know, the, the same strategies, but I've got a better idea of how I might, how I might manage um, a challenging individual. Um, but always willing to individualize and, and, and recognize somebody's uniqueness. That's what I try and do in my work is I've met thousands of golfers and they start telling a story and you think, well, I've, I've sort of you know, kind of heard variations of this before. But actually, the reason I've been successful is because I still think this person in front of me is unique. Mm -hmm. So what their experience of that is and their narrative is unique to them. And then in, in doing that, you build a rapport, a relationship where someone feels listened and understood. And, and there's a lot, you know, people say, what do you, what do you talk about? And we talk about reframing, whatever. And I say, you know, look, a lot of it is people get a lot from just being listened to mm, and, very true. And, and tried to be understood. Not to say they're right, mm. just to be understood and to understand their context. And, and then can I help in any way? Um, so that's what I that's what I try and value. So if, whether I've got a, a star player in front of me or I've got an eleven year old kid from China, I, I try and to give them the best I can of me mm. in that time nice. I've got with them, um, and that's what I enjoy as well. Mm. Nice. Uh, that's probably actually quite a good spot to wrap it up. I think. I think that that seeing everyone is unique and that but with similar stories to what you've heard. And as you've got more experience with that, you recognize them and actually reflection and a reflective practice that's come up quite a number of times on this podcast that people have said the power and importance that they've had from having a reflective practice and how much that's helped them develop uh, in their careers and their own personal growth. So that's obviously something which yeah does have a lot of power and impact behind it. Thanks, Ed. I enjoyed the chat. I enjoyed the chat. Likewise, thank you. Really, really appreciate you spending the time and a lot of really powerful insights there, which I think will help a lot of people. And I know there's certainly some things I'll be taking away and using myself. Thanks, Ed. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them. I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations 
where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sweda. Sweda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com. That's S-U-A-D-A dot com and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.